Masechet Yoma, Daf 80. We are nearing the end. Uh, the topic today is all about me- measurements, minimal measurements. We actually have six major topics. Uh, the first one is going to be the minimum measure- measurement for imparting food to Ma, which is a kabesa. Uh, we'll see two sources, two derivations for that. Um, then we're going to see some good advice that if, uh, if someone eats something not kosher, uh, by mistake, that's Chayav Chatat, you should write it down for the future when there's Beta Mikdash, but also write down the measurement in case the measurement changes. We'll see why. Um, then we'll see an opinion that says that the, all the measurements throughout the Torah are a Halacha Moshe Misinai. Uh, we'll discuss that. And then we'll come back to Yom Kippur. The Mishnah mentioned that the minimum amount of drink for which one is liable is Melo um, Lugmav. Even though that sounds like it's uh, two cheekfuls, we're going to interpret it to be only one cheekful, and that's going to get a lot of challenges, six of them, uh, one from Abraita, three from Rebizera, two from Rabah. All right, we'll respond to all those challenges. And then we'll move on to food and combining different foods, and then we'll finish off this uh, meal of Torah with um, uh, halakha about eating when you're already stuffed. Is that even considered eating? Okay, so we begin. Uh, the last thing that we mentioned is that on Yom Kippur, we don't talk about a kezayit because kezayit is shiur achila. So if someone eats nebela, something not kosher, uh, since it says lo tochilu, the, um, uh, the definition of eating is a kezayit. However, regarding Yom Kippur, it doesn't say not to eat. It says ve'initem, you have to be afflicted. And when someone is fasting, they feel afflicted and even if they eat a kezayit, they're still going to feel hungry and still feel afflicted. And that the mind is not settled, right? You're always, you're constantly thinking about, oh, I want to eat something, I want to eat something. Your mind doesn't settle down until you eat a kotebet, a date's worth. Good. That's why Yom Kippur is different. So now we're going to get to another, another yet another shi'ur of a besa. Tanya Rabbi Omer, kol ha-shi'urin kulan bekezayit. Throughout the Torah, everything is a kezayit. If you don't know any better, just assume kezayit. Chutz. Except for, well, Yom Kippur is an exception, but we'll talk about that, except for Tumat Ochalin. This is the minimum amount for food to impart Tum'ah to something else, right? Food is uh, very susceptible to Tum'ah, uh, more than, uh, more than uh, furniture, for example. And so if food, if you just have a little bit of food, even if that food is tameh, it will not make other food tameh. Let's say turuma or kodashim and so on. Um, however, it has, to, it has to be big enough in order to impart tuma, according to some also to contract tuma. What is that? We're going to see it's a kabesa. Now, why should this be different from all other things in the, in the Torah? So explain, this Baraita explains, because the pasuk is different, the pasuk gave different terminology, Therefore, the rabbi said it must be a different amount. Now, I'll tell you the pasuk now, even though the Gemara will introduce it in the next paragraph. The pasuk is from Vayikra. Mikol ha'ochel asher ya'achel, asher ya'vo alav mayim yitma. Any food which is eaten, if it gets wet, then it can uh, receive tuma. So uh, this is a weird uh, phrasing. It could have just said any food. Right, what's ochel asher yachel? If it's food, don't I know that it's something that you eat, food that you eat? So from this phrase, asher yachel, he say, you know what? This is different from other definitions, and therefore the minimum amount must be not a kezayit, but something else. Okay, now, uh, now we're going to bring in Yom Kippur. Uriel davar Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a proof for the fact that when you have different terminology, then you can uh, derive different amounts. 
מהי שינה כתוב במשמעו, מילות תעונה ומהי שינוך רמים בשיעורי ככותבת. So we can see this methodology in Yom Kippur. The pasuk didn't say don't eat on Yom Kippur, it said lo te'onef, if any, anyone does not afflict themselves, then they will be punished. So since it uses different terminology, the rabbi said, oh, it's not kezayit, but rather it's a kakotebit. So from there we learned this methodology, and now we can, now we can apply it to um, other cases. Now, uh, still on Yom Kippur, Question is, why do you even need uh, an example for Yom Kippur? Couldn't I just derive this methodology on my own? Anytime the Pasuk is different, so I know that it'll be, um, it'll be a different Shi'ur. No, we say, because without Yom Kippur, I might have thought that maybe this is the way that the Pasuk says, It's just a style, and the rest of the Pasuk is going to also talk about that Pasuk again. Maybe it's just parallel. So maybe it's not significant, uh, the fact that it used different terminology. So Yom Kippur proves that, watch out for different terminology in the Pasuk, because that will indicate for you that, uh, in fact, there's a different amount. Okay, good. So now that we know that methodology, let's uh, delve into the Tumat Ochalin example. Tumat Ochalin, Kabesa Minelan. How do I, I know it's different. How do I know it's a Kabesa? Amar Rabbi Abhu, Amar Rabbi El Azar. Remember these names because they're going to come up again. Rabbi Abhu says in the name of Rabbi El Azar. We're going to see this is not Rabbi Abhu's opinion, his own opinion. He's only quoting it in the name of Rabbi El Azar. And here's his proof. This double language, any food that will be eaten. You know what this means? It means food that comes from food. What does that mean? What, where, what's an example of food that comes from food? It's a chicken egg. A chicken is food, it's edible, and it lays an egg, so that's food that comes from food. So this is the answer to the riddle. It's food derivative from other food. And that's how we know that the minimum amount for food to impart tum'ah is a kabesa. Uh, it's an egg, because that comes from a chicken, which is also edible. All right, that's his proof. Now we're going to reject it because there's other examples. How about a kid, a child of a goat, right? That also is food that comes from food. And so maybe the minimum amount uh, to impart tum'ah is a goat or a baby goat, much bigger than an egg. So, but that fits your criteria, still food that comes from food. We say, no, that was not good because mechusa shechita. This, uh, if it has a baby, that baby, that kid, still you need shechita. It's not actually food yet. You can't just take a bite out of it. Um, so it's not food that comes from food. Um, well, maybe it could be ve'ema ben pekuah. Ben pekuah is a very interesting concept. This is, refers to when, if you do shechita on a mother animal and we open it up and you find that it's pregnant, the fetus inside, according to halacha, is kosher. Even if it's uh, about to give birth, in other words, you know, it could be alive, it can even hop out and start walking around and all that. Um, we consider it like a limb of the mother, just like you can eat any part of the animal, the brains, the heart, the liver, right? This is a fetus that was inside the mother. You did proper shechita on the mother, so therefore, you're allowed to eat the, this uh, fetus um, that eventually you could even wait till it grows up without doing shechita because you already did shechita on the mother. So it already has a law of shechita. Now you can't just take a bite out of it because all, all meat, you can't have the blood. 
and this there is blood in it. So you gotta you gotta get the blood out, you gotta salt it or barbecue it or something. So you're gonna end up having to open it up somehow, but it does not require ritual shechita. This um, topic, uh, by the way, was a huge controversy in the time of the second Bet HaMikdash, because in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found one letter that says specifically about this, that the Dead Sea sect thinks that this is prohibited, that a fetus that's found in the inside, uh, the mother is considered its own life and you have to do shechita on it by itself. But the, the rabbis, uh, a majority of the rabbis disagreed. Um, some people want to look to this as a, as a solution for shechita in faraway places where you don't have a shochet, it's very difficult. If you get an animal that's ben pikua, uh, theoretically, it can even have a child and a grandchild and all that whole herd, you have a whole herd of ben pikua. Literally ben pikua means that it's ripped open because it's ripped open and found. You could have a whole herd of animals that you don't have to do shechita on them. And uh, so if you get one really good shochet all the way in the beginning, then it's okay. So all this is midoraita, midrabanan, uh, still require that you do shechita just because it doesn't look right. Um, but anyway, here we have an example of a food that comes from food. If a goat um, is, is, uh, is pregnant and you find this fetus inside, so it's edible as is, you don't have to do shechita. So that would be the same as an egg coming from a, uh, coming from a hen, as wouldn't it be? And then we say, no, it wouldn't be because taun kiri'ah, you still have to cut it open in order to get the blood out, unlike an egg, which, um, you know, well, you have to crack an egg, but theoretically you could eat the egg, you know, if you wanted to with the, with the shell. So, um, so therefore the egg is, is, is a better example. Um, all right, so sticking with eggs, we're still not satisfied. How do you know it's a chicken egg? Maybe it's an egg from another bird. There's a bird called a bar yochani. We don't know exactly what it is, um, but there's another Gemara somewhere else that says this was some kind of giant mythical bird that its egg was so big that one time its egg cracked and the contents of the egg flooded 60 cities. That's obviously an exaggeration. It might have been only 58 cities, 57, I don't know. But 60 was uh, the Babylonians counted in base 60. So saying it's really big. Anyway, it could be an ostr ostrich egg or a dinosaur egg or something. Um, so uh, that's also an egg that comes from food that comes from food. So how do you know it's a chicken egg? Maybe it could be something else. Uh, we answer this and say, tafasta merube lo tafasta. Tafasta mu'at tafasta. This is a general rule in all of halakha. Um, it's the equivalent of the, uh, of the English saying that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? If you grab onto something, um, uh, so a little bit, and at least you hold, hold on to it. If you try to grab too much, then you might not have anything. So therefore, when we have a choice and we say, well, what kind of egg is it? Should we get to the, the really big one or the small one? Just take the small one, assume that. And at least that's something that you know for sure. Because if you go big, how, how knows how long you get, how, how big you're gonna go. You can get bigger and bigger and you're gonna, there's no end. You might not get anything. Okay, so therefore we're gonna say the um, minimum amount to impart tumah will be a uh, chicken egg. And then that way we can hold on to that if we're gonna be more, ends up being more mekel. If you say it's a bigger egg and anything less than that will not impart tumah, you're being mekel. So let's at least be mahmir and, uh, and assume a chicken egg. Okay, fine, but still not happy with this. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an egg of a very small bird that's even smaller than that. So, you know, you, know, you could, I don't know, a pigeon egg or something, and it could be even much smaller. And so, you know what, there's no, there's no way to know 
what it is. And so therefore, we left, we're left with an inconclusive uh, answer. Rabbi Al-Azhar, who said, how do we know it's a, a size of an egg? Because it's ochel habamin, ochel, food that comes from food, that is too general of a definition. So therefore, we're going to introduce another option. And this is Rabbi Abhu Dide Amar. Remember, the first answer so far was Rabbi Abhu in the name of Rabbi Al-Azhar, but uh, uh, we can't define what that is. So Rabbi Abhu himself said, so, food that you eat, this, the definition is food that you can eat in one swallow. What's the maximum amount that a person can fit in their esophagus? That is a chicken's egg. Um, okay, you can try this at home. I don't know uh, if you can eat an egg whole. Um, and uh, so that's the, that's the amount, and that's what it means. And so this is accepted, right? And therefore, this uh, special phrase, unique phrase, food that is eaten, means food that's eaten in one swallow. There you go. All right, so that's, um, that's the first topic. That's the minimum measure, measurement of food to impart to mal, which is an egg. And now we're going to get another statement of Rabbi El-Azhar, uh, who we mentioned already, even though it's not directly related to Yom Kippur. Um, although it is related to atonement. So here he says, If someone eats chalev, by mistake we're talking about, because you only would bring a korban chatat if you did something by mistake. Um, you, know, so you look in the fridge and you see some, some fat there and you thought it was kosher. And then it turns out, right, you ate it. And then you looked at the label and says, oh no, this was chalev. So you can't bring a korban because there's no better mikdash today. But keep a notebook, write it down and say, I ate chalev on this date. I have to bring one korban. Now, when you do that, the Azaz says, also write down how much. Uh, the minimum amount to, uh, to be liable is, um, is a kezayit. Let's say a kezayit, according to um, uh, many opinions nowadays, is 28 grams. So you're right. Um, I, wrote, I ate uh, 35 grams. Okay, So write that down. So then you know your chayat. Why should you write down the amount? Because maybe a betin will come in the future and they will do a recalculation and they say, you know what, when you, when you read that 28 grams in, uh, in uh, Yakut Yosef, uh, we, uh, that was not correct. And they're going to say, maybe it's 40 grams uh, is a kezayit. And then I'll know, wait, 40 grams is the minimum amount. I only ate 35 and I won't have to bring a, a korban khatat. And that's good to know because if I don't have to bring korban khatat, I'm not allowed to bring a korban khatat because I can't bring a, non, a, secular, a non-sacred animal into the azara. Uh, which would, then I would be doing if I don't actually have to bring it. That would be Al-Azhar's uh, advice. Okay, good. Now we're going to um, uh, look for, uh, we're going to um, analyze this statement in two ways. What does it mean that a betin in the future might come and increase the shi'urim? The simple meaning is what I, how I explained it. But Gemara's going to entertain an opposite meaning that maybe they're going to say it's not 28 grams, but only 20 grams is what a kezayit is. Right, so maybe it means that. There's all kinds of olives, right? You know, go to the store. There's little ones, medium ones, big ones. Maybe they're going to say the minimum amount is a small, small kezayit, which is more, more, more stringent then. This cannot be because there's a general principle. In order to bring, uh, have to bring a korban hatat, 
has to be something that I did by mistake and something that I realized on my own that it was my mistake. Um, if I deny and say, no, I, was, I never ate that at all. And you know, even if there's proof, but if I don't think I did it, I can't bring a korban khatat. Korban khatat is part of a tissue bar process. So if I don't think I ate it, I can't be sorry that I ate it. So it has to be something that I realized on my own. Um, so that's what it means. So someone makes teshuvah from his own knowledge, he brings a korban khatat and not this person. And so in this case, when I realized that, you know, I looked at the label and says, oh, this was chelev. And then I'll look and I say, you know what? I only ate um, 25 grams. So I say, oh, I'm okay. In other words, when I realized I ate chelev, I didn't think I was liable. So theoretically, I, could do, I would do it again, right? I didn't make teshuvah to the extent that I would say, oh, I would never do this. And that is a problem. Um, and I can't do it again uh, uh, and, not, uh, and, and uh, it's still, still asur. But in terms of the liability, I could do it again and not be liable. So therefore, at the time that I realized that I was hayav, um, that I ate chelev, I didn't think that it was, I was chayav because it was under the threshold of measurement. And so therefore, if in a few years later on, the betin changes the measurement, that's not, from, that's not acknowledgement from my knowledge, um, but rather from an outside um, uh, revelation. And therefore, in such a case, it would not be chayav a korban. Hatat uh, in any case. Ella de la korban gadol. Rather, it must be uh, talking about a case where the betin will come and say the kezayit that the Torah mentions is really a big kezayit, and so therefore you thought that you violated. Actually, you didn't. You don't have to bring a korban. Uh, so we prove uh, we prove that it has to be that there would only it would only make sense to write it down in case they change it to a bigger shiur. And that's, in fact, what his word sounded like, because he said, um, Okay, so now we know that's true anyway from logic. Now we just question the language. What were you, what were you even thinking to say that it's less if it says more? The first option that you brought up that, oh, maybe they'll, maybe they'll decrease the measurement. What, then why would the Rabbi al statement said maybe they will increase? It said increase. Why would you even think that it means decrease? And the answer is maybe it means that they will increase the liability to bring a korban because of shiurim. By making the shiur smaller, they're machmir because now you're gonna, more people will have to bring korbanot uh, for that, those, that middle amount that they might, may have eaten. Okay, so that's why we thought that we rejected anyway, um, but uh, now we've able to able to resolve that. Okay, good. So we uh, checked off the second thing on our list, and now we're going to see an interesting statement that uh, about all the measurements in the Torah. The minimum amounts of measurements are not stated explicitly in the Torah. Right, you can go look for it. We look at all those derivations. You know, we're trying to figure out what this word or that word. And he explains these are all halachal and Moshe Misenai. They're all part of the oral tradition, and also punishments. Now, what do you mean punishments? Onashin michtav ketivi. Hold on, the Torah is full of punishments. It says every, each thing. What you get if this punishment, that punishment, sekila, serefa, karet. Right. So we know that with the punishments are explicit. Rather, the Biochanan, you read it wrong. He must have said as follows: Amar Biochanan, Shiurim Shel Onashim, add a word Shel. Halacha l'Moshem Sinai. The measurement, the minimum measurement that would make someone liable to a punishment is Halacha l'Moshem Sinai. So, really, basically, the measurements uh, of punishment 
are halachim shem sinai, but the punishments themselves are known. Okay, so that's Rabbi Yochanan's opinion. It seems that Rabbi Yochanan is actually disagreeing with Rabbi Elazar before, because you see that beforehand, he, um, they are deriving it, the saying, uh, and, and the language that comes before says, uh, because the Torah uses different language, hachamim made a different amount, right? Uh, here's the phrase that they said above, hachamim, shinu hachamim ore. And it sounds like they are uh, deriving it, figuring it out, and they're the ones assessing the minimum amount, and it's not a halacha l'mashem sinai. So um, I think this is a machloket, and Rabbi Yochanan thinks it is a halacha l'mashem sinai. Okay, Rabbi Yochanan has good support for himself. See, this braita has the word shel in it. So in fact, the measurements for how much you need to, to be liable to punishment is an oral tradition from Sinai. And here we have explicitly it's a machloket because the second opinion here says, no, it's a the court of a person named Ya'abetz. They are the one that instituted all the shiurim. Who is Ya'abetz? We're not sure. There is a Ya'abetz mentioned in Devere Amim uh, from the lineage of Yehuda. Others think Ya'abetz is connected with Otniel ben Kenaz in the time of Shoftim. It could be a different Ya'abetz, maybe from the second Beit HaMikdash period. However it is, he had an authoritative Betin, and they established the Shi'orim. Um, okay, good. So that's the, that's the two opinions here. We're going to ask a question on the second opinion. Um, so what do you mean that Ya'abetz instituted them? We say, when the Torah is given, these all, all the, all, everything in the Torah is given to Moshe. No future Navi is allowed to say anything new, right? They're not allowed to uh, come up with new halachot. This is a very important principle. By the way, the Dead Sea sect did not agree with this principle. They actually learned halachot even from Nevi'im and Kittuvim. Uh, but the rabbis did not agree with that, and they say only what's in the Torah. Future Nevi'im, they can uh, pressure people, inspire people to keep the misvot, but they can't say anything new. This was very important, especially after Christianity, that said, oh, we have a prophet, and he said that he changed the laws. Um, so uh, so the, 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 according to the rabbis, no prophet, no matter what your belief, can ever do that, not in the past, not in the future. Okay, anyway, um, how, could, how, could you, how could you say that Ya'abetz created them? Um, rather, um, people forgot them, and he just re-established them. So actually, according to this, um, not only do you solve the problem of prophecy, you, also saw, you can also reconcile these two opinions. And in fact, they are but they were forgotten over time. And then Ya'abetz came, and he was able to re-establish them. So yes, a Navi can, or a Betin, can re-establish them, but can't uh, make them from new. Okay, good. So that's, uh, that's very interesting, uh, very important principles that we learned from there. And now we're going to get back to Yom Kippur and talk about the cheekful. And uh, we'll have, um, we're going to see that it means only one cheekful, a challenge from a Braita, three challenges from uh, the Bizera by comparing it to food, and then two challenges of this hypothesis from Rava about the speed of eating, right? How long you have to have to eat it. Um, okay, here we go. The Mishnah said, um, someone who drinks, that's plural, cheekfuls, right? His full, full cheeks, it sounds like two cheeks, um, it would be chayav uh, for drinking on Yom Kippur. Um, but any less than that would not be chayav. 
So that would be a pretty lenient opinion because that's a lot of uh, a lot of liquid. So Shemuel reinterprets the Mishnah and uh, to be more stringent and says it doesn't mean literally full cheeks, but rather if you would take all the liquid in your mouth and put it to one side, it would look from profile like both cheeks are full, right? A lot of times you only see a certain person from one side. So if you go like this and it looks like, right, one cheek is totally full, um, they'll say, oh, I guess, look, his mouth is full. So it's uh, as if two cheekfuls, but really only one would be liable. All right, now question on this. What do you mean? The Mishnah says cheeks, cheekfuls, cheeks full, right? But it's both of them. Uh, no, Emma Kim Lugmav. No, maybe you read it as if it says, uh, um, as if it's uh, two cheekfuls, even in the appearance of your cheeks being full, even if they're not both actually full, you will still be liable. All right, so that's the interpretation of Shemuel. And here we have challenge number one from a Braita. This is a Braita talking about Yom Kippur. How much would you, would you have to drink in order to be Chayav for drinking, eating and drinking on Yom Kippur? Four opinions here. Bet says, Rivi'it, a standard, you know, three uh, uh, point something ounces, um, one standard. Bet his cheeks full. That's what our Mishnah said. Oh, so see, we do have this phrase, Kim Lo Lugmav. That's going to be Enough to swallow. This would be, sounds like it would be even a smaller amount, right? A swallowful. Okay, now, um, you see here that Betilel says, So that means two cheeks, right? So we say to the, about that, is the Braita any stronger than our Mishnah? We reinterpreted our Mishnah, so we could reinterpret the Braita too. We already reinterpreted the Mishnah to see, to mean that it looks like cheeks full. So too, we can say it looks like cheeks full. So that's no problem. Um, no, but still, it's not so simple to do that in the Braita, because if you say that means Kim Lo Lugmav, and then the Be'eliezer says Kim Lo Lugmav, then they're saying the same thing, right? No, there could be a small, slight difference. If uh, someone has a cheek full, but not totally full, that would be a difference between them. According to the Be'eliezer, they would still be liable. According to Betilel, he says Melo Lugmav, and without the cuff, and that means a real full cheek full. You have to really look like um, uh, your cheeks are full. So at least one of them has to be totally full. So there could be a slight difference between that terminology, even if you reinterpret Betilel to mean only one cheek. Okay, good. So we resolve that question. Now, question number two. Actually, this is part of, the, part of that question, right? If you interpret this baraita in such a way, then this will be one, an example of where Bet Shammai is more mekel than, um, than Bet Hillel. Why? Because one cheekful um, is generally less, depends on how big a person is, but an average person, one cheekful is less than a divirit. And so less than means more liable. And so this would be an example of where Betilel is more machmir. Now it could be, there are examples where Betilel is more machmir, but all of those examples are listed in Masechet Eduyot. And this example is not there. 
So you see, since this example is not there, there, th therefore, it can't be that Bet Hillel is more Mahmir, must be Bet Shammai is more Mahmir. In order for Bet Shammai to be more Mahmir, it would make more sense for Bet Hillel to say you need both cheeks full. Both cheeks full, that's more liquid, that's more lenient. Um, so uh, we have to explain why this is not on that list. Listen to this answer. When we were asking that question, in other words, in this Baraita, um, uh, or maybe in the Mishnah Eduyot, you could say, um, when we were discussing this question, we were giving you thinking of an example of Og Melech Bashan. He's, he's a giant, so he has very big cheeks. So for him, even one cheek full is more than a Revi'it. And therefore, since it could be talking about such a person, that's why in Masechet Eduyot, it did not include uh, this example, this opinion of Bet Hillel, because sometimes Bet Hillel would be more Mekel, in fact. Even though you're right, in the standard case of a regular person, Revi'it is in fact bigger, and therefore Bet Shammai is Mekel. Um, so uh, I don't think that this, this answer looks like it's really uh, um, from a left field, but I don't think it, you have to interpret it that way. So, it's just saying it could be a talking about a big person. It's not that it's only talking about a big person. So that's why we don't include it in that, in the Mishnah in Aduyot. Okay, so that's all the first challenge to Shemuel, and now a second one. So once again, Shemuel said, and when the Mishnah said, cheeks full, it's really only one cheek full. See, the Bezerah is building on what you just said before, that it's a subjective, it's a cheekful, however big you are. If you're a big person, then you could drink a little more. A small person with a small cheek can drink less. So he says, what's the difference with food? Food, we said, it's a date, it's an amount of a date. And that's an objective standard amount for all people no matter how big or small your body is. And so why should food be objective uh, standard and drink be subjective depending on how big your cheek is? That's a good question. So the rabbis have established that when someone eats a kotevet, a date's worth, they, uh, their mind is relaxed. And less than that, their mind is not relaxed. And that goes, it's true for everybody, um, even if they're big or small. Sometimes you see, you see uh, I have a 10-year-old, he's really skinny, he's like, he weighs 60 pounds, he can eat two, three slices. Even my 16-year-old, he's much bigger, he's enough for one slice. So, so the, the body size doesn't necessarily change um, your uh, level of being, uh, uh, your mind calming down and not feeling hungry. So therefore, eating, the rabbis establishes the same standard. But drinking is different. Drinking, they did it, they, they checked it out. And they see that um, people that are bigger need to drink more than uh, and people that are smaller in order for their mind to be settled. So it's just based on what the rabbis have established. Um, okay, so that's the reason. 
Now the bizera is not satisfied. Matkifla the bizera. Wait, since you mentioned Og, even Og, even the giant, if he eats a date, then he's then he's, he's not thinking about food anymore, right? Even though he's so big, certainly for him, it would have to be different. Abaye answers with the same exact words. Yes, that's what the rabbis established, right? They have a tradition that this is the, this is the story. Maybe they, did a, maybe they did a test and they found, yes, even a big, very big person, uh, still their mind is set when they eat a, a date, their mind is settled and they don't think about food all the time. The only difference is how much is it settled? Is it settled a lot? That would be for most people. His mind will only be a little bit settled. But anyway, but it doesn't matter. It's more or less. But for both of them, they won't feel afflicted after you have a date. And that is true uh, across the board. Yes. Good. Now, Rabbi Zerah is still not happy. Wait, doesn't depend on what you're eating. Uh, let's say you're eating um, meat. Meat is very filling. So I understand a kotebet size worth of meat would be filling. But grape leaves, right? Grape leaves are not so filling. And so it shouldn't, shouldn't be the same, right? You should have different amounts for different types of foods, more filling foods, less filling foods. Amale Abaye, Abaye gives the same answer. It's like a broken telephone. Yes, the rabbis know, they have a tradition, right? Tradition, they tested it out and they know, yes, it's uh, true. No matter what, what you're eating, doesn't matter. If you eat a kotevet worth of any food, then your mind will already be settled and you won't be feeling afflicted anymore. The only difference is to a degree. You're right. If it's fatty meat, then you'll be very settled. If it's only grape, uh, grape leaves, then you won't feel so settled. But either way, you're not going to feel afflicted. And that's why for food, it is in fact one standard, no matter the person and no matter the food. Um, good. Now, Matkif La Rava. Rava is going to challenge this statement from a different, a, a, a different source. Um, he's challenging now regarding food specifically. How could you say, um, in general, when we say kezait, right? This is not, not, I'm not talking about drinks anymore, but kezait, uh, um, when you say you have to be, you're liable if you're the kezait of uh, non-kosher food, that's a kezait within a certain time period. It's within the time period that people normally would eat a pedas. Pedas means half of a loaf. Um, so, uh, so you have whatever it is, uh, uh, you know, nine minutes. Um, and so if you eat it within that nine minutes, then you'll be chayav. If you have a half a kezayit now, and in the half hour, you have another half of a kezayit, one is not liable, it has to be within. Fine. So everybody knows that. Now his question is, is a kotevet also, is it bechidach achilat peras? How could it be? Um, because a kotevet is a lot bigger, and yet you're giving the same amount of time which is a great leniency, right? Because it's harder to eat a date full, a date within the same nine minutes, right? It was, it's a lot harder to eat. So shouldn't it be a ratio? If a kezayit is a pedas, then the kotevet should be in the time that it takes to eat more than a pedas. So why would you say it's a kotevet? 
אמר לאביה, קים להו לרבנן, תבהכי מתווה דעתה, ותפי מהכי לה מתווה דעתה. אביה gives the same answer, he has one answer to every question that anyone asks, right? Yes, the rabbis have established that in that time period, a person is, his mind is settled, and if it's more than that, his mind is not settled. And so that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the duration. If uh, someone eats a kotebet and eats uh, some of it now, and, uh, and the rest of it much later, um, after the time it usually would take to have uh, half of a loaf, then his mind is not settled. He's still feeling afflicted. And so it's the same thing. Okay, so that's why uh, Rava's question is in there. Now, Matkif la Rava. Rava is also still not um, satisfied. Some manuscripts have Rabina here. Okay, whoever asked this question. It says, So, okay, already uh, other manuscripts say Kezait. It doesn't matter. Kezait or Kotebet, both of those are within the time period of, let's say, nine minutes to eat a Peras. There's another law about eating a Chatsi Peras. Would that be also Bechde Achilat Peras? This law has to do with uh, Tum'ah. Um, in general, Tum'ah, uh, uh, impure food can make other food, imp- food, food impure, right? That, but not people, unless you eat it. If you eat a lot of Tameh food, how much? A chatsi peras. Let's say assume that a whole loaf is eight uh, uh, eggs. Then a peras, which is half a loaf, would be four. So chatsi peras is two. So two kabesim. If someone eats two kabesim of impure tameh food, then that person becomes tameh. It's called it's called tumat giviyah, tuma of a person. Now. Um, would you say the same thing that in order, the time period, in order to receive this tum'ah would be eating a chatsi peras of tameh food within the amount of time that it would take to eat a whole peras, which is a half a loaf, right? Then you'd have, that's reading really fast and much faster than the others. Shouldn't it be, you know, a, a ratio depending on the, uh, the, you know, how big, how much you're eating? This is no, we're not going to change the time period because we want to be lenient. This is a big leniency because it's most people can't aren't going to eat a whole uh, half a pedas in the time it takes to eat a regular pedas. Uh, people eat more slowly. And so therefore, generally, people will not, will not get tameh in this way. And yet we want to be lenient because this law is mid-rabanan, it's not from the Torah. Since it's rabanan, we can be lenient and say, you're right, generally, it's not going to be liable. Okay. Mi amara papa hachi. Hold on. Did a papa really say this? Baketib lotetame ubehem nitpetem bam. The amara papa mikanche tumat givya de oraita. You just gave an answer that this type of tuma is not the oraita. But a papa himself quoted a pasuk and said, right, the pasuk, the full pasuk says, lotetame ubehem nitpetem bam. Don't become tame with them and by eating them and then you'll become tame. Uh, so this is a double language. The word tum'ah actually has, has multiple meanings. Um, non-kosher animals are called tameh, not because they're ritually impure. It's not that if you, you touch them, you'll become tameh, but it's another word for, to say not kosher. Um, so in this pasuk, it's actually combining both meanings, right? Don't eat tameh animals that are not kosher. And if you do eat them a sufficient amount, you can become actually tameh, in other words, ritual impurity. So that papa says, look, we're quoting a pasuk, so that means it's the oraita, right? And then we say, no, No, in fact, he didn't mean it's really from the Torah. He meant that it's a rabbinic law. But he's saying that we get, uh, we uh, are giving, getting support uh, from the pasuk, and we're going to treat it very seriously 
as if it was a Doraita. And that's what he meant. But really, it's a Dirabanan, and that's why we can be Mekel on the matter. All right, so that was the, that was the long section today. And now two more short sections. Um, one about combining foods, different kinds of food, and then eating one stuff. So, kola al khalin, if I have a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, um, uh, vegetables and a little beans and a little meat um, on Yom Kippur, they all combine to make a, uh, a kakotebet, to make one liable. He says, if you eat some meat and salt, but the meat itself is less than the katebet. But the salt that I add brings it over the top and makes it a full date. Mistaref, they combine. Even though salt is not food, no one eats salt. Nevertheless, since salt is normally eaten with meat, so when you put, put it together with meat, the volume of the salt does in fact combine to make a kotebet. Good. If you have some uh, vegetable broth or brine, even though that is not, it's a drink, um, and you put it, and you put it um, uh, with, the, with vegetables, Nevertheless, it combines. Seer, sorry. Seer is like brine, like pickle brine. If I take this brine and I put it on vegetables, even though the vegetables by themselves are less than the kotebet, but with the, this juice that I'm putting on is more, they do combine. Now we say peshita. Isn't that obvious that they would combine? Why would you think not? And I would have thought the brine is a drink. And so drink does not combine with food, right? You can have some less than a kotebet of food and less than a cheekful of, of, of a drink, and they don't combine to make one liable. Nevertheless, here, Reshakish uh, is teaching us, anything that prepares a food for eating is considered food. So once you mix the brine together and eat it with the uh, vegetables, um, it, uh, it does combine and becomes all one combination of food. Good. And now the last topic. If someone is so stuffed, sometimes, you know, when, and for Sudat Mavseket, you know, you eat so much because you're, you're all just worried about fasting for the next day, um, that by the time the, the end, you're eating that last uh, dessert and you're not even enjoying it, you're just stuffing your face. So that kind of eating called Achilag Gasa is not even if, if you, let's say, um, after, you, after you stuff yourself, then Yom Kippur starts and you eat another bite that you don't enjoy, you're just stuffing it. So that person is patur because it says, uh, you're, oh, you're not afflicting yourself, but this person is harming himself by eating this. You didn't enjoy it, it's even more affliction. So therefore, since it's only harming yourself by eating that, that extra bite and not enjoying, it's still afflicting, therefore that person's patur. Obviously you can't do it, but there will be no punishment. Now we're going to apply the same principle of Achila Gasa to Tiruma. Generally, if a non-Kohen eats Tiruma, it's not allowed. And they have to pay back the Kohen the amount that they ate plus a fifth, meaning plus 25% um, for, that, for that enjoyment that they received that belonged to the Kohen. That's a general rule. But if, uh, let's say it was Achilat Kasa, person ate a huge meal, stuffed, they don't have even room for one more bite, and then they go and take some tiruma and eat it, they didn't get any enjoyment out of it. And therefore, they do not have to pay 
um, they do not have to pay back the extra fifth. Why? Only if you eat it in an enjoyable way and not in a way that damages yourself. Or another example, if you take barley, that's tiruma, and you chew it, not baked, not ground, you just chew the barley grain. Uh, that's not a way of eating. Uh, so, so therefore, you don't get enjoyment out of it. If you do that, and it's tiruma, you have to pay for the barley itself, but not the extra fifth because kitochal, eating, and not, um, and not chewing in a way that is harmful to oneself. And last halacha, amar b'shizbi, amar b'shizbi, amar b'yochanan, zar shebala shezafin shel teruma v'hikiyan. This is a little gross. If you eat some plums that are teruma, so that person ate them, and then he forced himself to throw up. V'hikiyan. And someone else sees that and says, oh, that looks okay. I'll eat that too. And he eats what the other person vomited. The first person who ate the plums, he derives benefit from them and swallowed them. So he has to pay the, the kohen, the, the principal, plus the fifth as usual. But the second person already when they are vomited up, they're not food anymore. It's not enjoyable eating, but they are still, they could be useful for burning, right? Just as fuel. So therefore the second, the first person has to pay the normal plus the fifth. The second person has to pay um, how the, wor- the worth of that food, of those plums, if uh, to be sold as, uh, as fuel, how much that would be, because it's not, he didn't benefit as food, but still, um, still benefited because they could have been used um, as burning material. And that completes the, uh, the, the meal of Torah, and we are stuffed with Torah, so we can end here. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen.